Well, hello and a warm welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Georgie Collins. I'm a partner at Erwin Mitchell and head our US desk and relationships. During this podcast, we're going to focus on the UK and US transatlantic relationship, the opportunities and challenges for UK businesses either looking to do business in the US or attract investment from the US. I'm delighted to be joined by US business experts Emmanuel Adam, Executive Director and Chief Policy and Trade Officer of British American Business, and John Dickerman, Head of CBI in the US. Owen Mitchell's most recent UK powerhouse report identified and ranked the US as the number one jurisdiction for trade and investment into and out of the UK. That was confirmed by a recent study by British American Business and the global consultancy Bain & Company, which showed that there is a high level of confidence among US companies in the UK as a place to do and invest business. That said, new investors showed concern over uncertainty around the UK-EU relationship, particularly for companies who have supply chains and business operations across the continent. Companies also want to see a US-UK free trade agreement, more clarity around the UK industrial strategy and a business-friendly tax policy. With that setting the scene, I'm going to turn to our panel to kick off the discussion. Emmanuel, I'm going to come to you first. Big picture, what do you see as the current state of play for transatlantic trade and investment? Is the outlook good? Thank you very much, Georgie. Um, and hello, everyone. Good question. And I would say at the moment we are on a solid path of recovery. Um, while I think it will take some time to make up the losses and decreases in trade and investment that we have seen between 2020 and 2022. Um, last week, um, the UK government released data that showed that we have indeed seen a decrease in trade of over 17% between 2020 and 2021. I think that there is currently strong evidence that we um, see strong trade and investment ambitions in the next few months to come. And we have um, evidence for that over the past few weeks alone. We have seen uh, announcements of, for example, Chicago-based consultancy ThoughtWorks, who announced they would open a third location in the UK. And no big surprise, but still fantastic, the US film studios have announced a multi-hundred million um, pound investment in the UK, which, by the way, also includes a new operation in Broxbourne and Hertfordshire, um, all of which points us in a very positive direction at the moment. That is very positive and encouraging. John, does that reflect your view? What are you seeing? Hi, Georgie. Thank you very much for having me today. And it, it, let me just say really quickly, it's it's such a pleasure to be here with Erwin Mitchell. I, I enjoy working with you. Of course, enjoy spending time with Emmanuel when I have the opportunity to speak with him as well. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, and I hope we can have a, a really engaging discussion today. I think what Emmanuel says completely tracks from everything that I'm hearing, both here in the United States and from my colleagues in the UK. Um, the big challenge between the US and, and the UK is always going to be how do you expand on an already brilliant relationship? And, and uh, I think when you think about it from that context, you can think, well, where are the opportunities that we need to focus on in order to expand that brilliant relationship, which I know we'll talk about in more detail later on. So I think right now, uh, you know, there's a huge amount of opportunity thinking about where, where the future is going to lead us and not looking back at some of the challenges over the last 18 to 24 months. Um, which largely are focused around the global pandemic. So I think, look, we're in a we're in a really good state right now. We continue to have a, a really strong trade and investment relationship. There's a lot to build on. 
Um, but it's going to take a really focused and concerted effort from business in every single sector, from service providers and from government to ensure that while we, we, we do maintain this strong relationship, which I think is entirely reasonable, we have the opportunity to build on it too. That's great. Thank you, John. And in terms of building on that trading relationship and trying not to look in the past, I mean, in just looking at the, the trade deal or lack of it, um, is that having an impact, do you think? And dare I mention the word Brexit, is that an opportunity potentially for, you know, UK businesses, particularly looking more to the US than maybe they had to Europe? Is that's influencing US investors in terms of what might be the foreign direct investment into the UK? So I think we have to look at it as an opportunity. Um, let's be really clear. Um, there is concern from the US about the future relationship of the UK between the UK and the EU. And 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 that I think is something that the, the government, it's incumbent upon government, but also incumbent upon business um to be really focused on as well. You know, figuring out where the UK is going to go in terms of its of its uh, relationship with its largest trading partner long term is incredibly important because it will influence some of the policies and regulations and the trade deal that we'd like to see accomplished between the US and the UK. That being said, you know, again, I, I would want to go back to that word opportunity when talking about this because I do think there's a real, real clear opportunity for the US and the UK to develop gold standards in areas that haven't been dealt with in, in trade agreements previously. Um, gold standards in data flows, gold standards in artificial intelligence. These are really important things for the UK going forward. I mean, I think gold standards when it comes to decarbonization and climate change and green growth. If we can look at the US and UK relationship and, and, and we can focus on these areas again of opportunity, I think there's a massive there's a, there's a massive potential for growth in the, in the relationship and a huge potential for UK investors in the US and, and vice versa. So again, there are some challenges. There's no question that Brexit is one of them and remains one. I, I think the pause that we've seen on the US-UK negotiating or a, a trade deal is not to me that, that big of a concern right now. There's consensus uh, around some of the low hanging fruit there are some big challenges on agriculture ahead. There's some big challenges on pharmaceuticals. There's some challenges um, on labor mobility. That, of course, can't be negotiated within the framework of a free trade agreement. But again, uh, you know, I, I do tend to, to look at all of these areas and think of them not so much as hurdles as much as opportunities. Emmanuel, what do you think? I mean, particularly with your policy hat on, do you have a similar view or have you got a, a different angle with it? Well, thanks, Georgie. I mean, I was you you referenced already the British American Business and Bain and Company Confidence Index that was released a few weeks ago, and I have to say I was quite surprised that um, a UK-US free trade agreement was among the top priorities for the US business community in the UK. I know it's always been important to the community, but I wouldn't wouldn't have seen it being that high, especially since we have seen the debate slightly change over the past few months, especially since the new US administration um, took office. In order to answer your question, though, I would say no, the absence of a free trade agreement will not have a negative impact on what John Orley described as a fantastic relationship. Business now how to do business between both sides of the Atlantic. A trade agreement would be a great addition that would facilitate trade even further, but it will not, the absence of it will not have a negative impact. 
It is true, yes, as the report also said that US businesses um, who operate in the UK or who look at the UK are indeed concerned around what is going to happen with the UK-EU relationship. But at the same time, as we established in the first um, question and answer here, US businesses are very confident in the UK at the moment and uh, show it through action, um, meaning that investments are being made and that there is much more ambition for more. So just to repeat a couple of words that John just said is the question right now and the opportunity right now is to pave the way for what is to come. And that really means that the UK um, will want and look at how they can build a strong and solid relationship with the EU. And if there is no trade deal, then um, the UK and the US should follow through with their plans to further collaborate and expand um, their uh, economic collaboration. And I would also say their trade promotion support that they are already offering to companies who are ambitious to make the transatlantic corridor as part of their growth journey. Thank you. So turning to the opportunities rather than that, that, that sort of perceived challenge, maybe more than actual that it is, are you seeing any particular trends in terms of the opportunities for UK businesses in terms of sort of foreign direct investment that's coming from the from the US? Are there sort of hotspot areas where you're seeing that uh, investment come from? Well, I can happily kick off. Those question has two sides to it. On the one hand, I think we can generally be very optimistic because as John mentioned, we have just gone through and we are still going through an extremely challenging time, which uh, will soon reach at the duration of two years. And despite of all of that, we have companies who are ambitious to trade and to invest across the Atlantic. You would not necessarily have uh, expected that in the beginning of the pandemic, but we did see that and we continue to receive very encouraging evidence anecdotally um, that supports um, these findings. On the investment side, we have yet to see um, what will happen, but the impression is equally good as it is um, on the trade side. In terms of opportunities and whether there are specific pockets that we should look at, my view, and it would be interesting to see what, what John, um, John experiences, is not really. In a way, you have a fairly consistent pattern with what you have seen over the past few years. We know there is an emphasis to strengthen green investment and investment in tech in the US for UK companies. And we know that the UK government is quite keen to open up these opportunities to UK companies who are um, uh, ambitious to go to the US. But when I look at the investment pattern that I see, um, I would say it really covers the whole range of industries, goods and services and different industries that you can imagine, which means that there is really uh, an opportunity for everyone, really. John, what do you think? Is that mirrored by what you see on the ground? Yeah, I think in large part. If you'll allow me, Georgie, I'm going to be a little cheeky here, though, and give you some of my uh, some of my uh, impressions and some of some of the thoughts that I have about where the opportunities may lie. And I think what you should do is you should look to where the funding is happening in the U.S., particularly from the federal government and from the state and local government areas. And what I'd say is look at infrastructure. I mean, the U.S. is trying to figure out a way to fund $1.5 trillion worth of infrastructure investment in the U.S. And the real, uh, the reality behind this is that, you know, there certainly just isn't enough expertise from the construction sector in the U.S. to take advantage of all of that funding. And the U.K. is, is really well placed. Look at the infrastructure projects the U.K. has led on globally, building an airport in Hong Kong, building a, tra a train uh, from the airport to the city in Toronto. I mean, these are really significant, big budget 
and, and, and really important infrastructure investment opportunities. And I think that they could replicate those in the US too. The key is gonna be whether or not we can develop an opportunity around public-private investments in the US. Um, I think you know that is a, a, a real opportunity and, and a sector that I would look to. And, and, and then I just mirror uh, some of the sectors that, that Emmanuel mentioned as well. Green growth is, is an opportunity in the US, probably not as big of an opportunity as it is globally right now. Um, but again, good to get on the ground floor of that because this, this administration in particular has demonstrated a commitment to being a, a global leader on climate. And uh, the UK, I think, has done exactly the same thing. This is why John and I complement each other so well, because he pinpoints specific areas um, based on what he sees in the US. And I obviously look at this always from a much more broader perspective, um, given that that I and, and my colleagues and the team help companies across the board. We, of course, look at, at specific sectors and opportunities, but we look much more at, okay, where is the company currently in its growth ambition? What is the product and how does the company foresee to enter the market? And then we can define whether the company is more likely to be successful or not. So works quite well here. Perfect combination. Yeah. Um, just just picking up, Emmanuel, you said there just, you know, sectors um, and relative to geography. I mean, are there, would you flag particular sectors and their geographies in the US, um, which are, you know, hotspots at the moment? And in terms of UK businesses going into the US, you know, if they were looking at healthcare, if they were looking at green energy, are there any particular states where they they should be focusing, you know, their efforts? So that's another good point where I hope and think that John and I will complement each other well, because my initial instinct would, would, would be to say, no, don't not necessarily look at the US and based on where you have existing sectors. In fact, I recently had an inquiry from a company that did exactly that. We used, we used a tool to identify where are the the wider life life sciences spots in the US. And then that company actually said, you know what? But then this actually means we may want to go where our competitors are not based and we should try to, to establish a new hub somewhere. Um, so again, I leave that to John to, to look into, you know, what why it actually makes sense to potentially look at um, those clusters. Um, and we are certainly interested from our from our end also. But again, I wouldn't say don't don't only look at, at those clusters, but rather look at okay, what is your service and where does your client base sits, which of course can be linked to the cluster. Speaking of which, in my recent experience, there are a couple couple areas that certainly popped up. One, and those are not New York and the West Coast, by the way, which are often seen as the default destinations for UK companies to land. One of which would be North and South Carolina. I have recently seen a number of UK companies uh, put. Uh, set their foot uh, on North Carolinian or South Carolinian ground, um, one of which would be Lucidian, for example, or recently a big announcement we made, Arrival, um, a company that works with UPS on developing electric cars for the UPS fleet, has um, established its headquarter in North Carolina. Another, another area that I recently worked on or with uh, quite a bit, um, also thanks to an extremely active um, consulate there and a consulate general, um, is Atlanta and the wider Atlanta region and Georgia, um, a company that has been su extremely successful as RevLifter, pretty much started like many other companies with one single person has really grown their business and is turning this, this more and more into an extremely important pillar to their business. So 
if I if I look at the US, you know, I look at what I do. I currently see where where, where companies successful. I leave it to John to maybe enlighten us whether there are indeed some patterns that UK companies who are not there yet should be aware of. Yeah, you know, I, I think there are. Um, I th I think you make a couple of really important points, Emmanuel. I think obviously knowing your audience or knowing your client base is incredibly important. I think knowing your advisor is equally important. Looking to a group like Erwin Mitchell, for example, that has, I think, a really good uh, footprint in the United States in terms of the client base they have, but also in terms of the relationships they have. Um, that's really important. So have, having a, having a, a trusted advisor is incredibly important because they're going to know the regions. But if you look at the, the US geographically, again, I think this point that you made about New York and, and kind of the West Coast and, and how people look at those as, as the real centers of opportunity is an important one because, yeah, I mean, these are huge economies and you can make a ton of money there if you, if you, you, know, if you, if you figure out exactly how to do it. But it can be really tricky because there's a huge amount of competition. So I, I would say look to smaller regions, which in the United States still pretty huge. Um, places like Atlanta, like you mentioned, Seattle, Denver, Austin, Texas. I mean, these are these are huge, diverse economies, and I think you can do a lot. You don't have to be sector specific in those economies. But then you look at a place like Houston, for example. It's the fourth biggest city in the U.S. I think its economy is bigger than South Africa uh, in and of itself. I mean, it's just a massive place. If you're going to invest in healthcare, look at Houston. There's a huge opportunity when it comes to healthcare and life sciences in a place like Houston. I think equally huge in San Francisco and equally huge in Boston. But how much competition are you going to have there as opposed to, to Houston? And I'm, I'm not downplaying the competition you'll have in Houston because it will be significant. There are a lot of big players in that market. But, but again, I think it is an emerging area of opportunity. In aerospace, there are emerging areas of opportunity in a place like Denver. I mean, you want to, you want to look at Seattle when it comes to aerospace. But look at Denver. Look at South Carolina. Uh, um, go back to Wichita. I mean, these are places that that you know historically haven't been focused necessarily on on aerospace, with the exception of Wichita, but are but are real interesting areas to invest. So yeah, I think there are really there are real interesting opportunities. Logistics is an, is another area that you got to be really concerned about mm. in the U.S. And and I think that's one area, particularly if you're looking to to you know deal in goods. You should be really focused on a place that's got access to port, access to rail, access to highways and interstates. Look at a city like Jacksonville, Florida, for example. Probably wouldn't pop into your mind as a real key opportunity in terms of investment in the U.S., but there's a favorable tax scheme there. If they have access to interstates, they can put you anywhere in the United States within three days. There's rail there. There's a big port. There's an airport. I mean, you're talking about a, 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 an area that that you can kind of move around really quickly in. Um, even and even though it might not be central to the U.S., um, it, it could be as a, a hub for you in terms of uh, logistics. Thanks, John. I, I think the themes that you've drawn out there are, are really interesting and feed into the conversation piece we'll often first have with clients who might be looking to, you know, set up in the U.S. or expand, say, their operations, where there is a fixation on I need to be in a particular state, a particular city, and actually where do they need to start what do they need to start thinking about and you know infrastructure you know the ease with which they may may want to get between the the UK and the US considerations competition and Emmanuel this reminds me of a conversation that we've had before where I'm going to try and draw on your memory where 
I think you told of a story of a business that you'd helped in terms of where they were looking to set up and they picked the business picked a locality where no one else was operating because of what they saw of the market advantage. Yeah, I do. I do remember. Uh, I think that company quite well. Um, even though, interestingly, they in the end uh, decided potentially to go also to a different different state. But um, I think I think the solution is as always somewhat in the middle. You know, you I think in this in this case um, it was it's a company that does um, pet gravestones um, that I worked with. And uh, John may remember remember that uh, story coming up before because it's fairly recent. So and. You know they have a good product, quite successful, and we're looking. Okay, where where can we start in the U.S. to bring our product to market? And uh, and I think there are two two ways you can go about it. And often, if you're if you're fortunate, then it's a, it's a mix. So, on the one hand, and that's what I would often um, work with with companies as part of the advisory support system. We would look at the product existing client structures, and then see okay, are there all the links to the U.S. So, for example. If you have uh, a specific product that you sell to um, a UK-based client, is that client all also available and, and existent in, in the US? And could that potentially be a first start for you to get your business started? So that is one way to go about it. And then you know you follow pretty much the client and, and, and then build your business around there. There are other factors who can also uh, contribute to that. And if, if you don't have, have that, then you need to do a market study, a comprehensive market study. And, and by the way, if you're a UK company and, and you meet a number of criteria, both the UK government and the US embassy in London do have fairly um, comprehensive and extremely valuable support systems in place where they can help you on that. And I also know that there are sometimes local funding um, that will help you, for example, do a market analysis as to where you should go. And that was indeed the case for the other company who looked at, okay, we have a good product. We, you know, given that we sell a product that has an audience, which is pets, we need to find out where are pets. And uh, so, and it happened to be the case, at least according to that market analysis that um, was produced in the end, that in Texas, there are a lot of pets. And, uh, and so there are a lot of people, a lot of pets. And there are even places where you find more pets than in other places. And uh, so this is, of course, then a good good start to look. Okay, this is an area I should look at. What is the what is the competitiveness uh, landscape? And would there be a niche for me to enter the market? So again, there are two ways how you can go about finding out where you go. But it is clearly uh, clearly one of the most important uh, and most common question that comes indeed up when it comes to the U.S. Because no matter how how much I dislike the the the, the phrase, you know, the U.S. is a big country. Um, well, that doesn't help me much. It is a big country, and so you need to start somewhere and find your parameters that help you guide your location. Thanks, John. Yeah, I just want to add a couple of things to the, I think the really good information that Emmanuel just gave. Those groups like chambers of commerce and government affiliated economic development agencies and investment agencies are really good resources. There's no question about that. And I think they're particularly good resources for small and medium sized businesses who are looking to invest. But I'm going to bang the drum a little bit here for having a trusted advisor as well. And, and and the reason I say that is because you are looking to invest in a in a in a new country or a new state or a new city. It, it behooves you to have somebody on your side that you trust, that you have a fiduciary relationship with, who is going to look after your best interests. 
And I think it's particularly important in a market like the United States, where you do have, again, 56 different markets that you're potentially trying to invest in. Because those trusted advisors are going to have relationships, again, with a city and state localities. But also on top of that, they're going to have experience dealing with businesses similar to yours. And they're going to know the challenges and the pratfalls that they've had trying to invest in those areas, trying to invest in those localities. Uh, and uh, if you don't have a, a, a conversation with your trusted advisor and you're just going through a chamber, you're just going through uh, a local economic development agency, and you're kind of playing the lottery. You know, you may win big, um, but you also may spend a heck of a lot of money on a lot of lottery tickets uh, and, and walk away with nothing. So I think having a trusted advisor is incredibly important. I think that's a that's a really practical comment in terms of how we sometimes see clients sort of come a bit of a cropper um, in terms of where they're embarking on their expansion plans and they haven't had um, a trusted advisor on board, whether, say, for example, that's an accountant, whether that's a lawyer, whether that's, you know, they've connected through somebody like you. Um, but certainly the one of the most frequent things that we see is, is the rush to set up somewhere, you know, to be established, to, you know, incorporate a business and actually no real thought to what might be tax structures there, favourable, not favourable, relative to what the business might be, what actually the regulatory environment is there, particularly, you know, if you need to get people on board, you know, say if you're in a healthcare, if you're in some type of financial services and people will just pick a, you know, a favourable place, often, you know, those cities on West Coast, East Coast, but without having that deeper dive of relative to what their business is from a financial perspective, what is the ease of setting up and, you know, how are they going to be regulated and um, have, an, have an efficient tax structure around them? Yeah, that, that is a really important point, Georgie, because if you go to these economic development agencies, and, and again, I think they're really useful, they're going to sell you on the tax structure that they have that's beneficial to them in the moment. But say you invest in a place like New York, for example, great place to invest. For a while, they were offering a, a 10-year pause on corporate taxes for any new corporation that in, incorporates and invests in New York. Well, what happens after 10 years? <laughs> you know, what, what does your tax bill look like in 10 years? Or are you investing in a, in a right-to-work state or, or a state that doesn't have right-to-work legislation? That's going to have a big impact on, on your bottom line. So I think that's given a, a great view and advice for UK businesses, particularly of some of the considerations to have in, have in mind if they're thinking of coming to the, the US, where to start, where to think about. Just looking to the future in terms of the news that we received yesterday, that there's the expectation of uh, the transatlantic corridor opening up, certainly for, for UK visitors to come into the US. How do you think, how do you see that sort of impacting on what feels like to be, you know, actually quite a buoyant respective field of activity um, at the moment given the challenges that we've had. I know the UK, I know British American Business and other organisations have been lobbying hard and working hard at trying uh, to push the opening of this corridor and we're particularly hopeful given when the UK opened up its borders to the US it was quickly going to follow suit. I, I think some weeks ago we were slightly fearful it might not actually happen this year. So um, what happened yesterday is, you know, a great turn of events. I mean, 
hugely positive. How do you feel about it, Emmanuel? As you say, it was a great turn of events and we feel hugely positive about yesterday's announcement. Um, we didn't expect it that soon, even though at the same time I tried to calculate it today and between the first proclamation that was put in place in March 2020 and a potential date in early November, which has yet to be set, we have 600 plus days in which the transatlantic air corridor, the transatlantic air travel corridor was practically closed, at least in parts for one side or even both. Um, in that context, it is an extremely important impo uh, announcement. Now, one thing that needs to be said, though, is, and you mentioned that also, that despite one of the most important travel corridors being closed for such a long time, it is amazing what kind of business activity we have seen over time. And I think many of us are proof of how we adapted to a different work environment. At the same time, though, we also didn't see a number of things and we didn't really know what impact it had if a company owner wasn't able to meet potential new clients face to face or check on operations um, locally, what did that mean? Did that delay plans? Um, did that delay business activity? And I think what we can now expect, and I think this is why we are so upbeat and optimistic about what's currently happening, is that we expect actually uh, a return to travel, at least in parts where now many companies, many individuals who weren't able to travel for such a long time are now able to at least to try to catch up, see their team, see their clients, see their business partners, and that will only instill further energy, enthusiasm and activity into the corridor between the UK and the US. John, anything further from you to add to that? I think it's really exciting news. I think, um, look, a lot of, as Emmanuel pointed out, a lot of people are going to be out there and, and visiting the US to visit their clients and vice versa. But I think it's really interesting to look at actually how the, the US-UK relationship from a trade and investment standpoint hasn't been incredibly negatively affected over the last 18 months too and it really gives you a, a, a clue as to where where the the real opportunities in terms of investment are in the us financial services professional services in general i mean that's something that can be done virtually in a way that you know establishing a manufacturing facility can't so i think that's really exciting there's a real opportunity there um, but I, but I think kind of opening the corridor is really exciting for some other emerging areas of opportunity in the U.S. as well, particularly for small and medium-sized enterprises. Uh, it's a lot more difficult to do everything from uh, from your home office, particularly if you're looking to set up an operation here in the U.S. So I think that freedom to move is going to be really huge. It also is going to highlight an area that we'd really like to see some legislative and regulatory movement on in the U.S. too and in the U.K. and that's uh, 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 labor mobility. Uh, you know, I mean, there is freedom of movement between the U.S. and the U.K., but I think some liberalization of that relationship, particularly in terms of intra-company transfers, is something we'd we'd like to see both countries move on as well. And that's been a you know an interesting discussion that's been going on for some time. What's the impetus to, to, to move that labour mobility transatlantic issue along? Um, is there momentum, you know, is there the appetite momentum to drive that? I mean, maybe that will come slightly, you know, to the front of the agenda, giving the, you know, the, the full opening of the corridor that makes it become a, a point where people are able at least to travel. Is it a long term prospect, John, in, in, in really trying to open that up? Well, I'll, I'll use the word optimistic again here. I, I, I am optimistic that it is a real 
opportunity. And I think it is a real opportunity, particularly if we can couch the uh, argument in terms of job growth in the US. And, and not the, the opposite, which is oftentimes the case when you talk about liberalization of immigration in the US. Immigration is a toxic uh, conversation in Washington, DC and, and throughout the US, and, and to some extent has been so in the UK as well. Uh, but what we're talking about here is not uh, taking jobs away from Americans or taking jobs away from people in the UK. What we're talking about here is giving businesses the opportunity to send the people to the areas that they need to in order to make investments in order to broaden their reach, in order to broaden the scope of whom they're employing and why. So I think there is a real opportunity, absolutely, but I think it is incumbent on business to make a real strong argument about how what they're trying to do is, is grow and build the economy and not shrink economies, certainly not uh, uh, work just solely for the benefit of the bottom line of the company, which I don't think is the case. I certainly haven't seen that to be the case. Um, but again, I think it's it's going to be uh, the key will be in the argument that we can make for it. Thank you both. Well, I think that brings our podcast today to a close. In summary, I think uh, from all that you've said, the opportunity, as always, remains enormous, respective to the trade between the UK, the US. Um, I'd really echo what you say in terms of, you know, the challenging times that we've had. Um, it's quite extraordinary the level of activity that has continued and despite the narrative that has played itself out you know in the press and otherwise about the relationship between the UK and the US actually how deeply rooted that relationship is and I think that's really showed itself over these difficult times and notwithstanding certain challenges actual or perceived actually from what we see and, and and certainly from where I sit is so exciting is the dynamic of that relationship is just going to go from strength to strength and the opportunity where I sit on the side of the pond for UK businesses is tremendous. So thank you both very much for your time today. It has been great talking to you. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you so much. Thanks thank for listening. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And, and of course, thanks to Emmanuel as well. I always enjoy working with you. Likewise. Thank you both so much. Um, to our listeners, if you found this interesting, let us know if you'd like more information, but do join us for our next episode. Thank you very much. <laughs>